Um, we are going to turn our attention to now our scripture passage for today as we uh, recapture peace. And so our scripture passage is coming from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So I invite you to follow along. If you brought your personal Bible or your Bible app, you can tune into that. And I believe we will also have the words on the screen for you to follow along as well. So hear Paul's words. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will, begin, will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to thank this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart for all of you share in God's grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that the day of Christ may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and the praise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, thank you letters or, or notes of encouragement, or, you know, are small physically, but make a very, very big impact at times. I can remember the first time where I actually had to write a, you know, sit down and write some thank you notes. And that's when I graduated high school. You know, my parents, being good parents, Said, you know, you got to write everybody that sends you a card, everybody that sends you a gift, you got to write them a thank you note. So, what I did was I created a little piece of paper, a list of the gifts that I got and who gave them to me. And then, if I got a card, I saved their card and stuffed it in the shoebox with that list. And when enough time had passed, I sat down, I remember sitting down, and I had my stack of thank you cards and I had to write. And I was like, okay, I got to come up with at least four or five sentences for a thank you. I remember that and formatting the thank you and personalizing and signing it and sealing it and mailing it off. It was a process. And what did I end up doing is that I still saved those cards and the list of things that people got me in that same shoebox that I still have to this very day in my attic. I, for some reason, just moved that shoebox around and around and around, still haven't gotten rid of it for whatever reasons, I don't know. But it is, you know, it's one of those things. I remember writing, the first time I sat down, I actually had to write a series of thank you notes. It was a task. Um, as you can see, I didn't do that for my wedding. That was my wife's job, okay? But for my graduation, I remember doing that. And same for college as well. But then as I got older, uh, the occupations that I took, teacher, coach, minister, people will write me thank you cards from time to time, and I save them in a file. And every now and then when things get a little rough, I pull them out for some encouragement. And if you're in the position where you get a lot of thank you cards, I recommend you do that. Save them. Put them somewhere. And when times are a little rough, look at them for times of, for things of encouragement. They're nice to have. And, you know, especially when you might get a, a letter of encouragement or thank you from someone that's got a, some position of authority. Like if you get a letter from some politician or some famous person or athlete, you may f actually frame those. You know, if you ever get one from a congressperson or a governor or whatever, you might want to frame them and stick it somewhere where people see them like, oh, look at you, you got something for the mayor or the governor or whatever. People do that. You know, they frame those. 
Well, even at times, there are entire countries that might even get a thank you letter from one of their former leaders or presidents. And in this case, America got a thank you letter in 1994 from one of their former presidents. This is what it said. My fellow Americans, I've been recently told that I'm one of the millions of Americans who will be afflicted with the Alzheimer's disease. Upon learning this news, Nancy and I had to decide whether as private citizens we'd keep this a private matter or whether we'd make this news known in a public way. In the past, Nancy suffered from breast cancer and I had cancer surgeries. And we found through open disclosures we were able to raise public awareness. And we were happy that as a result, many more people underwent testing. They were treated in early stages and able to return to normal, healthy lives. So now we feel it is important to share it with you. In opening our hearts, we hope this might promote greater awareness of this condition. Perhaps it will encourage a clearer understanding of the individuals and families who are affected by it. And at the moment, I feel just fine. I intend to live the remainder of my years that God gives me on this earth, doing the things I've always done. I'll continue to share life's journey with my beloved Nancy and my family. I plan to enjoy the great outdoors, stay in touch with my friends and supporters. Unfortunately, as Alzheimer's disease progresses, the family often bears a heavy burden. I only wish there was some way I could spare Nancy from this painful experience. And when the time comes, I'm confident that with your help, she will face it with faith and courage. So in closing, let me thank you, the American people, for giving me the great honor of allowing me to serve as your president. When the Lord calls me home, whenever that may be, I will leave with the greatest love of this country of ours, internal optimism for its future. I now begin the journey that will lead me into the sunset of my life. I know that for America, there will always be a bright dawn ahead. So thank you again, my friends. May God always bless you. Sincerely, Ronald Reagan. Okay, so he wrote a letter when he was diagnosed with his condition of explaining the condition, raising awareness, but also thanking the American people for the honor of serving as the president. And as for presidents, they have this neat little tradition that they started in modern history of when one outgoing president leaves, another one coming in, the outgoing president will leave a little note in the desk. I don't know if we've ever heard about the note in the Oval Office desk, but they'll leave a little note. And one of the ones that I like the most, because I'm a history junkie, is the one that George H.W. Bush left for Bill Clinton, a note of encouragement. And we had the honor of knowing what that note says. Sometimes you don't know what one president says to the other. We may never know. This one we know, and I, I like it. He says, Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticisms you may not think is fair. And I'm not very good or a good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success now is our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. You know, that says a lot right there, especially that Bill Clinton beat George H.W. Bush in the election. And so, but it was a word of encouragement. Just say, as I said earlier, thank you notes and words of encouragement are physically small, but they can have a huge impact. Well, today's passage is Paul's thanksgiving. 
he is writing a thank you note and word of encouragement to the Philippians. Now, something that you may or may not know if you've done a Bible study on Paul and the Philippians, Paul's in prison right now as he writes this letter. He's in jail. Not like modern American jail, which is still not great, but like Roman jail, which is really bad, okay? And so he is sitting there in prison. And yet he finds this as an opportunity to not feel sorry for himself, as many of us would probably would feel as we were sitting in Roman jail, especially for sharing your faith. No, he took this as an opportunity to write his friends and supporters and brothers and sisters in Christ a thank you letter and words of encouragement. You see, when you read this, you wouldn't even get the feeling that he was sitting in prison facing possible execution. You wouldn't really get that from the tone of the letter. But yet he finds the time, the rights of the Philippians, the church of Philippi, the first church, as they say, of Europe, of Eastern Europe. His friends and loved ones there. He's writing a thank you letter and giving words of encouragement and prayer. So let's take a look at what Paul's saying here and how we can use this in our lives today as we are going through the season of Advent, as we look at peace and what peace truly means as we recapture, as we recapture it. Paul says in verses 3 through 6, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Paul gives thanks to God first and foremost as we all should in all circumstances, good or bad. Something we need to remember. But he gives thanks to God for this relationship and connection he has with the people in in Philippi, the Philippians. He gives God thanks. And why would he? Well, these individuals supported him in his greatest time of need. Go to Acts chapter 16 to read about Paul and the Philippians. When Paul was beaten, it was them that cleaned his wounds. When Paul needed food and shelter, it was, one, it was them that provided it. When Paul brought the gospel message to them for the very first day, they believed it. And they looked up to him and followed him and believed in Jesus Christ. These were the faithful. The town of Philippi was a very Roman town. There was strong Roman patriotism in that community. A lot of retired generals lived there. And so for an individual to come in there and talk about this new Christ, this king of the world, Jesus Christ, he is going to be watched. The government is going to put him in jail. They're going to be watching him closely as he proclaims the good news because nothing is supposed to be more superior than the Roman Caesar. Rome was God, but here comes Paul talking about the true God. He's going to be looked at in this community, but yet he found faithful people. Strong, faithful people that loved him, supported him, believed in the gospel, shared the love of Christ, and even met him at his greatest needs. This is why he gives God thanks for the people in Philippi. And while sitting in a jail, he has very little to offer. But what he can offer to them is words of encouragement, prayers and thanksgivings, support. He can provide them what would be something physically small but would have a huge impact on them and us today as we read his letter 
from jail. He is confident that God will finish the good work that he has started. Our God is a God that does not leave things left undone. He doesn't cast them aside. He's a God of reconciliation, restoration. He'll refine and purify things, but he'll never cast aside. We see that in the example of Jesus Christ, where we should be cast aside in our sinful nature. He did not do it, but yet provided a path of salvation through our Savior. He is a God that does not give up on us and completes his work. And the work is not fully completed until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. And we are hoping and longing for that day. That is what we are longing for in Advent. We celebrate the first coming of Christ on Christmas, but yet we wait for the second coming because we know it is true and things will be perfect and complete at that time. And we can see the work of this restoration in all of our lives. Think back on your personal lives and moments where God has put special people in your way with the work of the Holy Spirit to form and shape you. Moments in your life where the Spirit has moved and opened you to His awareness. God is at work in each and every one of us and we need to have our eyes open. We need to be in the position ready to receive it and to see it and allow God to work in us and use us so we can be this light, we can be that vessel that also can continue the good work in others. To be that person in that moment for an individual who is suffering loss to use our gifts and graces on a project or whatever mission that we are called to do. God is continuing his work in us and through us for the world and it will be known complete when Jesus Christ comes back. And this is what Paul is proclaiming to us today and to his people in Philippi. And so as verses 7 through 8, it says, It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. It was here in this moment where he declares that I know you stood with me in those tough times. And that while you and I may not be physically connected at this moment, I long for you in my heart, and we are connected even in this moment And that we share in the grace of Christ together as we are challenged by this world. And I think for us today as Christians that we need to long for each other as we all stand together in this world against the challenges that face us and we share in the grace of Jesus Christ in these moments as well. We are one of the same as those that we are reading about here. And so Paul offers a prayer in verses 9 through 11. He says... And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. And this is my prayer, your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. What Paul is saying here, you are going to receive the Spirit, your hearts are going to be transformed by love. But also be aware, be aware of false teachings, be aware of false love. Use the knowledge that you're gaining, use your heart and your brain in this moment to discern what is right and what is wrong. In these moments, we must do both. And as we grow more in wisdom, we're able to see what he is talking about, about being pure and blameless. 
Because at the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless and having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And see, as the harvest of righteousness, we are called to align ourselves with God. Last week, we talked about hope and that the big piece of hope that we need to recapture is that moment of waiting. Waiting for the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. And in those moments of waiting, it's, it's tough to wait, but we can grow. And that is also the moment where God comes and meets us there. And as we are there in those moments of waiting, being formed by him, we are becoming righteous, aligned to his will, living into his law and his example. And the big law and example is love, the love of God and love of neighbor, the harvest of righteousness. We will share in that perfect love and we will help to spread that perfect love. I think we forget about that. We get really good about knowing what the scripture says, but then we have to be made righteous and allow ourselves to be transformed by this love inside and out to experience the full harvest that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and the praise of God. As we do this living out of love, it's not for our own glory. It's not for us to say, look at me, how much I'm giving to the poor. Give me all the Facebook likes and heart loves that I can take. No, I would rather see our church give and not do so so we can be the biggest post on Facebook. I'd rather us give because we love God and we love our neighbor. We have got to be the example of love and with the right intentions. And the intention is to the glory of God. Now, if you want to post on social media, make sure it's to the glory of God, not to the glory of you. And we have to discern that and we have to be aware of that in this season as we live out this love. And so this is, this is what the Thanksgiving thing is all about. But the other question, as we read this passage, is how is Paul? How is he able to have this joy, this Thanksgiving? How is he able to think about writing these words of encouragement and praying for others when his own earthly life is at stake? He has this one thing that we are supposed to focus on today. He has this peace. He has this thing called peace. And so today we are trying to recapture what that peace is. And I think this passage shows us what that peace is. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, peace is mentioned quite a few times. Actually, over the entirety of Scripture, it's mentioned over 200 times, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when you read about peace in the Old Testament, it puts a heavy emphasis on security and prosperity, the physical benefits of peace. But in the New Testament, and I think with Paul sitting in this prison, and I think what Christ is trying to let us know and what we need to embrace here as we recapture it, we need to put a more spiritual focus on peace, an inward peace. Think of peace as the absence of strife, the absence of conflict, inner conflict. You know, one of the hallmarks of peace in the New Testament is when the angel appears 
to the shepherds and says, peace on earth. Let's remove the strife on earth. The conflict between good and evil as we usher in the Messiah that will truly bring us all inner peace. Paul had the inner peace of Christ in a most dangerous time of his life. He had this inner peace to focus on what's really important in life. And I think that we need to recapture that. I think we need to recapture that because in our own lives, we are going to always have struggles. We'll have moments of physical prosperity, but life is ever-changing. Challenges will come our way. How do you handle them? How do you handle them? Some folks will be like, well, if I got enough money in the bank, I'm all right. I can handle anything financially. Throw it at me. But if you go and start interviewing folks that have a ton of money, they don't have, a lot of them, inner peace from that money. If they have inner peace, it's from something else. It's not from their wealth. So wealth is not it. Inner peace comes from something that we physically can't do. It comes from something spiritual through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have to give our whole self to Him, full faith in Him, for us to obtain that inner peace. And as we have this inner peace within ourselves, as we recapture what that truly means, then we begin to see others as God sees them. We begin to see others through the lens of love once we have that inner peace within ourselves. Once we remove that strife and allow Jesus to move within us and rid out that strife, then we can begin to allow perfect love and inner peace in us and flow through us and see the world the way that God sees it.